When you hear the phrase, God loves you, it's not uncommon to immediately wonder how that could even be possible. Perhaps worse, some people have heard and said that phrase so often that it's lost its meaning. This is Christ is the Answer, the weekly radio program from the Seaview Full Gospel Church in beautiful Back Bay, New Brunswick. I'm your host today, Robin Monks. For myself, trying to imagine God's love feels like a nearly impossible task. It's not something anyone is deserving of or can earn. In today's message, we get to dig in to how biblical writers attempted to explain God's love and mercy. To share that message and guide us through those scriptures with the help of the Holy Spirit, here's Pastor Randy Crozier. So this morning, uh, we are turning to the book of Romans and the 15th chapter. If you have your Bibles with you, either in paper form or electronically, then uh, you can turn there. I'm not going to read the text immediately. Uh, I will get to it in two parts uh, as, as I go along. But let's just ask the Lord to bless his word this morning. Father, we thank you for your grace, and we thank you for your word, Lord. Uh, it is precious beyond description. Lord, uh, there are a lot of things in the world that people uh, attach extraordinary worth to, um, but none of them, none of them compares to the value of your word. We thank you for it, for its guidance. We thank you that it's a living truth, and it isn't just a book that we read, but it's a voice that we hear. We ask in the name of Jesus Christ that we'd hear that voice, your voice, speaking to us this morning, Lord, leading us into a greater compliance, Lord, to your image, leading us into greater faith, leading us into, Lord, a larger sense of wonder over you, Lord, leading us, Lord, into any number of things that we might need. We believe, Lord, in the efficacy of your word. We ask, Lord, this morning that the enablement and the anointing of your Holy Spirit would extend, Lord, to everybody gathered here because we know, Lord, that to understand spiritual things, Lord, requires the activity, the work of the Holy Spirit. Lord, our minds, our, our human minds by themselves are not adequate and we're not up to the task. And so we invite you, Lord, to, to be here with us to work in us, Lord, this morning, uh, and we ask humbly in Jesus' name, Lord, amen and amen. So, this morning, I have, uh, I think, a, a simple word for you, um, uh, and I come here this morning with a very simple and single objective in mind. Sometimes you might have two or three things that you're shooting at uh, uh, while preaching uh, or teaching or, you know, whatever the case may be, but this morning I just have a single uh, objective in mind. And so, I just have two great truths that I want to bring to your attention that the Holy Spirit through Paul brings to our attention in Romans chapter uh, 15. So this morning, uh, we're going to be looking at Romans chapter 15, verses 7 through 11 and verse 13. Romans 15, 7 through 11 and verse uh, 13 as well. And in these verses, uh, Paul has been inspired by the Holy Spirit uh, to paint two word images of the Lord, two different complementary pictures of, of God, coming at uh, the same Lord from two different uh, significant angles, two angles that uh, uh, work together to accomplish a purpose. In verses 7 through 11, Paul uh, leads us through what some people call a meditation or a reflection on the love of God. So number one, I want to talk to you about the love of God this morning. 
I can't be very browbeating, can I? Right? I want to talk to you about the love of God. In Romans chapter 15, verses 6 through 11, this is what it says. Now you see, at just the right time, when we were still powerless, Christ died for the ungodly. In the nick of time. At the most opportune point in history, when our need was such, Christ died for the ungodly. Very rarely will anyone die for a righteous person. Though for a good person, someone might possibly dare to die. But God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. So Paul says this is the ultimate manifestation, the supreme expression of the love of God. And he doesn't say that Christ died for us. He says that in that while we were still sinners, in that while we were as undeserving as we could possibly be, Jesus Christ undertook to give his life and die for us. But God demonstrated his own love for us in this, that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Since we have now been justified by his blood, how much more shall we be saved from God's wrath through him? For If while we were God's enemies, we were reconciled to him through the death of his son, how much more, having been reconciled, shall we be saved through his life? Not only is this so, but we also boast in God that through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we now have received reconciliation. In this text, what Paul is focused on, what the Holy Spirit, who inspired Paul, is focused on, is trying to help us understand the extraordinary nature, the extraordinary intensity of God's astounding love. That by comparison to anything else that we think is love, well, all of that pales, and this defines it. Paul is saying that this is the supreme expression of all forms of love. That there's no love at all like it. You see, by coming into the world and living among us and uh, dying for us and rising from the dead, God demonstrates an amazing affection, an unparalleled tenderness toward us that really is inexplicable. This amazing tenderness toward us. And he does so really without any rational explanation. It's kind of like David uh, who poses the question, What is man that you're mindful of him and the son of man that you consider him? He's saying in a vernacular, he's saying, my mind is blown. I'm overwhelmed. I'm astounded, David is saying. Because I look at me and I look at mankind in general and I don't see anything particularly worthy. I see all kinds of distress and pain and heartache and all kinds of evil and people doing injury to one another and violence against one another. And yet for all of that and for all of our sin, God is mindful of us. David was blown away. And, and I think that and this is some, some supposition, you can take it or leave it, I think Paul was trying to impress us in a similar way. I think that as he says that God demonstrates his love toward us and that while we are yet sinners, Christ died for us, he's trying to remind us that this is an absolutely mind-boggling situation, that God loved us in that state. 
that he bears this amazing affection and this deep, deep tenderness towards us. Someone has said that Romans 5 and 8, where Paul says that God demonstrates his love for us and that while we are sinners, Christ died for us, is Paul's version of John 3.16, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believes in him wouldn't perish but would have everlasting life. That, that John, too, was just blown away. God so loved. You know, and, and the thing about God's remarkable love for us is that it's not based on us getting our act together and deserving it. And the fact that it's sustained, you know, that he bears it towards us and indeed sustains it over the long haul, that's not based on a, a positive track record or, or good performance, you know, to guarantee its continued flow. God's love for us is based on one simple fact, that God is love. God is love, and he loves us. John said, dear friends, John, 1 John 4 and 7, dear friends, let us love one another, for love comes from God. Everyone who loves has been born of God and knows God, and whoever does not love does not know God, because God is love. God is love. God's love is for us is based on the fact that he is love, and God's love for us is based on the fact that he is by nature, just gracious. You know, one of the, I think, one of the most valuable things that you can do in order to expand your awareness of the truth is to simply study the attributes of God. All theology ultimately stems or flows from who God is. So just, you know, get into your Bible and start reading about, you know, the characteristics and the qualities that inhere in His essence that define who He is. And one of the things that we discover is that God is inherently gracious. He's a God of love and he's a God of grace. He described himself to Moses. He's passing. Moses was hidden in the cleft of the rock. And he described himself to Moses this way. He said, that, he said, I'm the compassionate and gracious God, slow to anger, abounding in love and faithfulness. The compassionate and gracious God, slow to anger, abounding. I just love that word, abounding. Abounding in love and faithfulness. So God, he extends his love and his grace to us completely apart from and in spite of anything that we are. And it doesn't matter where you stand right now, whether you're a saint or you're a sinner, whether you do or you do not know Jesus Christ, God loves you. Now that doesn't mean that you've entered into a redeeming relationship with him or that the enmity between you and himself is gone. Because the enmity towards you isn't on God's part. It's because we sin and we walk in a different way. But no matter where you stand right now, God loves you. God wants to redeem you. He gave his son while we were still sinners, while we were unworthy, while we were undeserving, while we were at enmity with him. God gave his, love, or gave his son as an expression of that love because he wants to redeem every one of us. I think by inference, as you're reading through the text, reminds us that to really appreciate and I think this is important, and you know, it's a, it's a point worth making. That to really appreciate the quality, the depth, the measure, the enormity of God's love, we also need to have a realistic sense of what our own great need was, or is, depending on where we stand, of what our situation apart from Christ is. Uh, we, we need to have some sense of just how much trouble that we're really in without Jesus, how deep and how damning our sin is and how unworthy and undeserving we are. 
And when we understand that that's what our situation was or what our situation may still be, when we have a, 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 a sense for how big our problem was and how deep our offense to God was, and yet he loved us, then we can begin to understand the scope of that love. You know, I think David, David had a clear-eyed understanding and an appreciation for what the Lord had done for him. He had a sense for, um, you know, how generous God had been when God liberated and rescued him. And in the Psalm 40, verses 1 through 3, it says, I waited patiently for the Lord. He turned and he heard my cry. He lifted me up out of the slimy pit, out of the mud and the mire. He set my feet on a rock and he gave me a firm place to stand. He put a new song in my mouth, a hymn of praise to our God. Many will see and fear the Lord and put their trust in him. I I told you, uh, that when I gave my heart to the Lord, it was in full gospel assembly in St. John, and a guy named Ted Feltus was the, was the worship leader every Sunday, and there were certain songs that you knew. I mean, you know, you'd sing all kinds of different songs, but there were certain songs that you certainly knew that Ted Feltus was going to sing either in the morning or at night, and it never seemed that he got through a, a day without singing that song. He brought me out of the miry clay. He set my feet on the rock to stay. He put a song in my soul today. And that's all I remember. (laughs) But he did. Brought us out. And David knew it. And I think that because David understood that it was muck and it was mire and it was filth, and yet God reaches down and grabbed him out of it, that David had a greater sense or a greater awareness or appreciation of the extent, the enormity of the love of God. So sometimes it behooves us to reflect on what God brought us out of, how he liberated us. And then we find ourselves saying, oh, oh, wow, has God ever loved me? Does God ever love me so, so much? You know, in in, uh, Ezekiel chapter 16, verses 3 through 6 and 9 through 10, God told Israel, that they had been like uh, a newborn infant that had been thrown out into a field, left squirming in their own blood like a piece of unwanted trash. But he found them. He found Israel. He, he took Israel in. He bathed Israel. He anointed Israel with oil. He wrapped Israel in clean garments, and he raised Israel as his own. And so, you know, what the, the, the message is there, what, what the prophet is trying to express is that the salvation of Israel stemmed from this remarkable, unparalleled love of God. That's our story, too. It's this remarkable love of God that has brought us out. I, I, I thought of some, a couple of, of, of old hymns, that, and I just I love the words. God's love is like an ocean, is boundless and free, far higher than the mountains and deeper than the sea. The waves of His mercy now sweep over me like, and grace like a fountain flows from Calvary. God's love is like an ocean, boundless and free, higher than the mountains and deeper than the sea. Uh, Another one uh, says, the love of God, we know this one for sure, the love of God is greater far than tongue or pen can ever tell. It goes beyond the highest star and reaches to the lowest hell. The guilty pair bowed down with care. God gave his son to win. His erring child he reconciled and pardoned 
from his sin. O love of God, how rich and pure, how measureless and strong. It shall forevermore endure the saints and angels' song. And skipping the middle verse, but to the last one, because the last one is just beautiful. Could we with ink the ocean fill and every uh, and were the skies of parchment made, were every stalk on earth a quill and every man a scribe by trade, to write the love of God above would drain the ocean dry, nor could the scroll contain the whole, though stretched from sky to sky. Wow, I like that guy's writing, you know. I think he understood, he understood the love of God. And I think Paul wants us to understand the overwhelming love of God. So that was picture number one, the love of God. Now picture number two isn't as long. Because what Paul does is he goes from this reflection on the love of God to a reflection upon God as the God of hope. Love and hope. Romans chapter 15 and verse 13, it says this, May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace as you trust in him so that you may overflow with hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. You see, these two images, God is the God of love and God is the God of hope, are uh, beautifully harmonious. They come together in this remarkable way, kind of in a hand and, and glove manner. One man said this, he said, Where there is divine love to man... There's divine hope for man. You ever um, get in a bad situation? Maybe when you were a kid and you knew you were in trouble, but then you remembered mom and dad. And you know mom and dad love you. And so the knowledge of their love in your bad situation gave you hope. See, that's what the love of God does. It fills us full of hope. So when you're in a bad place, you know, and, and, and things are not going as you think that they should, and not that things always should go the way that we think they should, but wherever you're at, you're struggling and you're under a load and you're pressured, then remember, God loves you and it's going to be okay. It begins to infuse our hearts with hope. You see, the nature of God's love is such that it assures you that you can hope in Him for everything that love can deliver. And love can deliver a lot, but the love of God. Just imagine what you would do for your child. I remember sitting and having a conversation with a young man once who was putting himself in a really bad situation, a very, very bad, dangerous situation. And his mother was so overwhelmed that she was going to places in search of him that were putting her in a bad way. And I, and I said to him, listen, you need to understand something, that this woman will walk into a fire for you. That's the power of love. And my point for him, in his case, was to make him understand that for her sake, if nothing else, he needs to stay out of those places. But that's human love. That's just human love. And that love breathes and inspires hope. And you just think about it for a minute. Just, you can't even do it, really. None of us can. There's no way we can really wrap our minds around the measure of the love of God. But just begin to meditate it on just for a moment. And then allow it to begin to breed hope in your heart. Allow it to, to begin to cause hope to erupt inside of you, uh, to rise up. You know, the logic of Paul's arrangement, the reason why he begins with the God of love and then moves to the God of hope is that once you've been given a certainty that God loves you, that you have a home in the eternal heart, that you, against all reason and against all odds, are the apple of his eye, then all of a sudden, well, it makes sense to go from love to hope because love gives birth to hope. Because he is the God of love. 
and the God of hope. And you can reasonably anticipate every possible good. You can justifiably have in your heart an absolute confidence that from him who is love, from him who deeply and radically cares for you, that from him who demonstrated that love for you on the cross of Calvary, that every kindness and consideration will be extended to you. Now, don't misunderstand me. I'm not telling you you're always going to get your own way. Sometimes the love of God doesn't always appear to us to be the love of God. Sometimes the plan of God uh, doesn't always appear to us to be particularly favorable. But you can be guaranteed of this because God loves you. You can retain a hope in every circumstances that all things will work together for good to those who love God and are called according to His purpose. He's the God of love and He is the God of hope. God is the God of love has especially to do with our present. God is the God of hope has especially to do with our future. The first, the God of love assures us of salvation. Now, a present pardon, present exception, adoption into the family of God, all kinds of wonderful stuff. God is the God of hope. He leads our thoughts forward and upward, and we remember that heaven will one day be our home. It's always, it's going to be okay. I'd like you this morning to bow your heads if you would. I guess what I'm, uh, at the end of the day, like I said, I, I, I had no purpose. I feel like the, you know, the Lord laid it on my heart, and, and, and I can't imagine that he, he did so for any other reason than just to remind you, just to remind you of how blessed you are. I'll let you to marinate, just kind of soak in the love of God and, and, and be infused with this monstrous hope in your heart and in your life. And so for those of you who, who know the Lord, that was the purpose. If you happen to be here this morning, though, and you've never made that decision for Jesus. And maybe you've been feeling that knock, knock, and that pull, that tug, that something going on, that shaky, jittery, happens for different people, thing in your heart. If this morning you need Jesus Christ as your Savior, this would be a great time to choose Him. This would be a great time to choose Him. Lord, we thank You for Your grace, for Your monstrous love, for Your unparalleled and matchless compassion for us. Lord, that you demonstrated it. You gave undeniable evidence of that love in that you died for us, not while we were in the best of shape, not while we were online or, Lord, towing the mark, but when we were sinners. You just love us so much. Father, if there's someone here this morning or well, any of us, Lord, we need as much hope as we can get. Let hope be uh, reborn in our hearts if it's dying. Let it be refreshed if it's, uh, Lord, uh, wilting. Lord, let it just explode to greater measures if it's already there. But, Lord, fill us full of hope, Lord, this morning. Lord, we ask you to work these things in our hearts, in our lives. In Jesus' name, amen. Wow, it's amazing when you start to realize just how great God's love for us is. Even if you have been living your life in Christ for years, it can leave you in awe. If you've not had the opportunity to accept God's love in your life, I'd encourage you to start that journey today. To listen to this message or prior message again, you can visit our website at cviewfullgospel.com. You can subscribe to our podcast there and get new episodes delivered to your phone or tablet every week. Be sure to share it with a friend, and while you're there, send us a note and let us know how you've made our show part of your weekly routine. Your support is why we've been able to be here every week. Christ is the Answer is produced out of the Seaview Full Gospel Church in beautiful Back Bay, New Brunswick. You can call the church office at 
755-355-3592. Until next week, God bless, and remember, Christ is the answer.